As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our latest batch of listener questions today we're looking at pep guardiola's best ever midfield we're looking at wayne rooney's managerial credentials we're looking at the next ballon d'or winner and we answered a question on everybody's lips who or what is the soccer equivalent of chilies mm. my name's ryan bailey joining me today a man who is the total soccer show equivalent of chilies because he's great value and everybody loves him taylor rockwell hi Ooh, I wasn't sure where that was going to go, but kind words to start the show, Ryan Bailey. Thank you very much. I'm not sure I will be as kind to Chili's later on in the episode, mm. but we shall see. I mean, I could have said you were cheap and you taste good with barbecue sauce on you. I, I could, <laughs> there's a lot of routes I could have gone with that and I didn't, so you're welcome. Uh even more troubling is that Ryan is considered cannibalism, apparently. Uh, mm. A rough way to start the show, but a start to the show nonetheless. Yeah, you can get two of him for $22. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Like, yeah, okay, I can keep going. <laughs> anyway, joining us, Taylor, a man who... Florian Balogun, Florian Balogun, Florian Balogun, Florian Balogun. Joe Lowry, hello! Hey, that's me! Ryan, I'm glad you, you brought that up, um, mostly because it, it stops us from talking about chilies and Taylor covered in barbecue <laughs> sauce, which I kind of liked, and I, I may be a bit concerned about how much I like that conversation. Ryan, do you care at all about Florin Balogun? In what sense? For his well-being? Any, any sense. No. In that we took him from you and he's ours now? Yeah, mostly face. that sense. I care for him on a human level. I hope he has a prosperous life. Okay, but not uh, other in than terms that. Of, in terms of losing him from the England camp, I, I must admit it does not really register, Joe, with all due respect. So you're not at all concerned that your starting striker is over 30, has limited time left, and you just lost the best young striker you have to the, the nation that beat you in that war a long time ago? I don't recall any nation beating us in a... Hmm. Hang on. Okay. Just a thought. All right. Just a thought. <laughs> He's 29, actually. Harry Kane's 29. Joe, that was That's what it bad. sounds like when Ryan has no rebuttal, if you wanted yeah. to know. I, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, spent, I spent real time... I woke up in the middle of the night with my answer to the Chili's question later on. Like, I, I, I looked at the questions just before bed, and I, somehow, like, I guess my subconscious was thinking about them, and so I woke up, and I, like, thought of my answer. And then... 
Um, I also, like, for some reason, couldn't get back to sleep, and I was thinking about Florin Balgan, and I was thinking, like, I wonder if Ryan cares about this at all. Because, Taylor, you and I kind of mentioned that yesterday, and then I spent a decent amount of time, like, thinking of, of a reason why you should care about it, because Harry Kane is aging and, and probably now past his prime, and Balogun is younger than Ivan Tony or Tammy Abraham, and is, is maybe the next big thing. Um, but I didn't think that would really be enough for you, but I feel like it's, it is a reason to care, um, even though I know you still won't. He's, he's 21, right? Yeah. Balogun. So my, my theory is that at 21 years old, if he was going to be an England striker, he would be an England striker by now, at least on the periphery. And I would expect him to be in a first choice pick in a yeah. Premier League team, if that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah, I, th- I okay. don't think that's unfair. Did I Tammy Abraham? That. I may live to regret that opinion, Joe. Of course. No, it, it's possible for sure. I don't remember this. Did Tammy Abraham do that? Like, I seem to remember he wasn't really playing in the Premier League, and that's. I mean, Roma went in for him, and, and I know he's mm. a bit older now, but I don't. Did he check those boxes? He played some games for the Chelsea Football Club, I believe. Yes. Okay, gotcha. That's yeah. where the bar Ryan, is. Just so I, now we're on the same page. <laughs> uh, quick follow up for me. Um, how long have sour grapes been your favorite fruit? <laughs> Just, just out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity, real quick. Oh, sorry. I, 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 uh, I did, didn't take my medication. I've got some bitter pills to swallow. There we just go. A second. There I just we need go. to come over and take those before we start the show today. I, I am not surprised that you are not devastated by this news. No, of course I not. do think, at the same time, like I saw Doyle tweeting today that there is no player, there's no dual national eligible player who has come close or will come close to Balogun for quite some time. And for at the, the US. same time, for the US. There's so, yeah. For the US. At the same time, there's so much talent available in England and I think consistently coming through England that I also understand why short of it being a person who like if Balogun had been at Arsenal Gabriel Jesus gets hurt and Balogun deputizes and then scores a bunch of goals and is in form and now he's scoring in the Premier League and looks really good I think that would probably change it but until that's the case I totally understand why you're less concerned about this also I think generally speaking people tend to be less concerned about their national teams broadly than uh, U.S. fans yep. seem to be. I think that's been a topic of conversation a few times. Yep. So that's probably also part of this as well. That is also very much part of this. English people generally take, like, are interested in England team one week before games and a few <laughs> hours afterwards, and that is it. And complaining during the international friendlies, of course, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, that is uh, part for the course. Uh, no Graham Rutherford today joining us on the show. He is still enjoying his Italian sojourn, uh, in which, listener, he appears to be doing karaoke. Uh, I'm, I'm not one for peer pressure. But I just think that Graham needs to sing on the show at some point. I'm not going to pressure him by mentioning it several times on air that he should sing maybe a Britney Spears song like he did at karaoke in Naples. I'm I'm not saying we should do that. I'm not not into the pressure of doing that, Taylor. But But you're not not saying we should do Mm. that. Yeah, Let's add some more like, negatives in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's I think it's kind of only fair at this point that like Italian breezy Graham returned to the show. He leaves Scotland. He goes to Italy. He's wearing no socks. <laughs> he's singing in karaoke. He's having a grand old time. I like Italian Graham. Italian Graham is built different. Yeah. He's a completely exactly. different man. <laughs> he's going to be back in Scotland driving his car in the middle of the road, shouting at people. It's going to be amazing. Be I'm really excited for him to return with this in-depth report about like the sun is useful. It's really nice to have the sun around. I didn't know that. Although, uh, literally in this week in Italy, and very much where Graham is, just right at the moment, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to see Bruce Springsteen this Sunday. Uh, he plays three hours, at least. Uh, the, he's playing at the Chico Maximo, which is a giant muddy field at the best of times. Three hours in the mud for Ryan this weekend to watch. Uh, three hours in the mud is, is I think, the, one of his original songs, no? Mm-hmm. It's the title of his... Anyway, let's move on to the main show. TSS Truther has been in touch to kick things off, Joe. His question is, is Ryan Bailey real? My question for you, Joe, am I real? 
To quote Derek Zoolander staring into a puddle in the road, who am I? What is going on? I, I think mean, if, if people want if people want a, 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 any clearer evidence that Ryan is the one that picks the questions, the <laughs> fact that we're bookending today's show with a question from TSS Truther asking if Ryan Bailey is real and ending it with a discussion about chilies, which really is coming later on yeah. in a soccer way. Patreon um, was about Charlotte as well. This is this is all you need, um, Ryan. I don't. I think you're real. I think we spent time together, but but the one time that we've met actually in person was during the World Cup in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. in New York. Uh, and that was such a wild time with so much soccer and waking up early on a pretty regular basis and, and having a good time, but a busy time, that I'm not sure if any of that was real or if I just sort of hallucinated all of that. So I would say there's a, a 75% chance that you're real, like I think you are, mm-hmm. but I'm not willing to go all the way. I will take it one step further. I will say, I'm assuming this question is in jest. Ryan Bailey, I have sat next to him. I physically touched him. He's real in you, that way. You think you have. You think you have. I mean, yeah, unless it's... it's you it's touched just, me in many ways, Taylor. It's, it's the character that Ryan is playing. He has a real name. He's actually from Missouri. Yeah. He just doesn't let on. Um, but also... In a more serious way of reading this, one thing that I enjoyed about that New York trip and continue to enjoy doing the show with you all and Graham is that all three of you are exactly who you are on the show in real life. Obviously, you talk about soccer a little bit less in real life, although Joe might talk about it more. I'm not sure. Uh, But there's no sort of big disparity between your on-air persona and your off-air persona. They are pretty much the same thing as far as I can tell. And I really enjoy that. I think that's kind of my preferred way to be in these episodes. Uh, whereas I think there are some folks who play characters or maybe lean into narratives a little bit more. And uh-huh. I appreciate that none of you do that. Taylor, I'm going to push back there. I think I'm less of a jackass in real life. Thinking about it. Yeah, no, yeah, you are. <laughs> All right, I, wanted to see, I wanted to see how long I could let that go. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, People were so looking good. at their phones going, has it stopped? That was good. That was good. All right. You are. You, def- you definitely are. Although I would never say you're, you're a jackass. Uh, that is not a word. I, I genuinely would not use that word to describe you. Uh, not in front of you, anyway. Not no, no. While you're here. Uh, uh, shopaholic, maybe? That's one. No, I would not. I would not even that way. I would just say uh, charming and uh, garbage eating habits at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's quite the dichotomy. Thank you very much, Taylor. Thank you to TSS Truther. I don't know why I read that one out, but let's go to Reed Richards, who says, you are a new club owner and have the finances and time travel possibilities to build your team around one of Pep Guardiola's midfield groups. Who would you choose? Pep's Barca's mid- Barca midfielders, excuse me, Pep's Bayern midfielders, or Pep's Man City midfielders to start your global soccer domination? This, Taylor, is a difficult question. My, mm. my mind immediately goes, maybe with recency bias, to Man City, but then, oh, maybe it's Barca. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I think the the short answer for me is the Barcelona midfield. I think it's such an institution, and I think if you're building a team around a midfield, you're basically building a legacy, a mentality. They have uh, La Masia. So you're basically continuing that sort of institutionalized identity with your, with your new club. Uh, the, my real answer, I think, if I were choosing one of those midfield three and I had to not be involved in it, is the Vidal-Tiago Muller midfield that he had at Bayern. Because I 
love Arturo Vidal in his prime, and then I think Tiago makes is kind of the the passing glue, and then Muller is the attacking chaos, but also a very technically brilliant player. It's just that if I am in charge of these three, I'm not sure I can handle them. I'm not sure I can harness that energy. Pep could barely harness that energy, so I don't think I could. Whereas Xavi and Iniesta Busquets, it feels like they're sort of a a plug-and-play. They know what they're doing, and I can sit back and be like, just do what they do, everybody do what they do, and uh, we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I went with I went with Barcelona as well. I will say the uh, the midfield from whatever indoor soccer tournament that happened in 2013 when Pep was on a sabbatical in New York, where he is asked to referee in that game. The midfield from that game where Pep is involved could be a strong group as well. We don't know who was in that tournament. Maybe there was some young promising kid. No, that is a real story though for I folks got, who don't I know. Excited. When, when, I excited. I thought you were going to list like an actual midfield three who showed up for that one, yeah, and it was some yeah. insane combination of players. I wish, I wish. We don't have that detail, but I, I believe that's from Simon Cooper's book, was, was where that anecdote was first released to the public, uh, the Barcelona Complex, which it's just a crazy story. Like, Pep's doing his thing, got a baseball cap on, is at an indoor soccer tournament because he's sick, and hops into referee. Like, it's, it's a good story. But I think the answer is Barcelona. Like, I tried to think of which players are in each bucket. And for Barcelona, sure, other players played in the midfield. And if if Messi counts as a midfielder, then he's absolutely hopping in in this group. But I don't think he probably does. Busquets, Xavi, and Iniesta for Barcelona. For Bayern, I had Thiago, Toni Kroos, Thomas Müller, Schweinsteiger, Lamb, Arturo Vidal. Like there was there was you know a number of different characters in that cast. And then City, either Fernandinho or Rodri at the base. Gundogan, De Bruyne, maybe Bernardo Silva. I mean, he's played a lot of midfield, but also at times plays a bit higher up the field. Like they're all stacked groups. I'm going with Barcelona. I think they're not just stacked. I think they're they're legendary for how good they were, and I think a lot of that is is warranted. If I'm going to start dominating in this new global soccer economy where I'm at the top of the food chain, I, I think I want the best possible possession players because that's the style that all the best players want to play. Like They, they want to have the ball. They want to possess. And so if I'm going to build a team, I think I want to start with the best possible possession trio that I can. I think you know Thomas Muller is better at some things than Iniesta or Xavi. I think De Bruyne is better at some things than any of those players. I think Bernardo Silva is. I mean, I think there are, are players that have specific skills that are better than that Barcelona trio. But on the whole, if you want to just dominate the game with the ball and, and even make games boring at, at times with how good you are at keeping it, I think that Barcelona trio is as good as it gets. Yeah, I think that's got to be the consensus, that Barcelona team. If we consider, say, Pep's 2012 Barcelona to be like peak soccer, then by definition, the engine of that team, or the midfield of that team, should be the best one to pick from, right? Mm. Is that logical, Taylor? Yeah, I I think it is. I think just for how good they were and how much you could build your team around them, whereas... Like Man City, for example, that midfield is exceptional. Gundogan has been playing out of his mind. Kevin De Bruyne, uh, the same. And then Rodri has routed into the midfielder that Pep clearly saw him to be. And yet, I think because Erling Holland is Erling Holland, I still have that like, but do you need him in there? And I don't think you do. But but I do think there are other players in that Man City team that like accentuate, augment, make that team better. That midfield is, is part of it. But there are other players in there who also facilitate the way they want to play. That was Sorry. certainly the case with Barcelona when yeah. they had this okay. guy named Lionel Messi. Okay, there we go. I was like, yeah. what is going on here? Oh, no, no. But I just think, like, Holland is such a a freak of nature player where you can just, like, 
you can't really contain him on the technical side, on the physical side, on the speed side. Whereas Messi, at least you can foul. I'm not even sure you can foul Holland and take him down. No. Uh, so I, I just think that that midfield three, like maybe that maybe that's an unfair way to look at it. But I think that Barca midfield three is just so exceptional, and they're going to be ball dominant. That is the only negative thing I would say is I don't know if they have somebody who's like aggressively winning the ball back the way you would have yeah. with Vidal or Rodri. But maybe we're not going to play that way, so it's fine. Mm. I. I, I think I disagree with pretty much everything Ryan and Taylor that you guys both just said. Ryan, your argument about like the if we think twenty twelve Barcelona is the best team ever, then the midfield should be the automatic I don't I don't think that's particularly logical, although I do think they were obviously a very good part of that team. And mm. yeah, I think every word you use to describe Holland other than maybe his athleticism, Messi has in terms of his gravity, in terms of his play. Like I, I that's not that was at least not my reasoning behind making this pick. I just think that that trio of players is is probably the best midfield three of all time, and and that's why they're on my list. Okay, okay. Uh, we, we reached the same conclusion by a different means then, Joe, I suppose yes. is what we would say. totally there. fair. I, I think I meant 2011 Barcelona, the one that beat Man United in the Champions League final, which mm. Fergie said basically that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. That mm. was not 2012. Is that uh, the one where Messi had the header? Because that's still inexcusable. I can't remember if that was 2009 or 2011. <laughs> but either way, yeah. Messi winning a header is uh, troubling if you're a defender. By the way, another pet midfield we haven't mentioned is... The one which literally contained Pep Guardiola, which won the 1992 European Cup. Uh, So Pep at the base with Michael Laudrup and Jose Maria Baquero, who was a Spanish midfielder as well, uh, slightly less famous than Guardiola and Laudrup. But they did some good things too. Uh, Maybe not as much as peak Barcelona, but uh, uh, he he knows how to be in a midfield and to have one assembled for him, apparently. There we go. Uh, Thank you. Go on, Taylor. So I think, Joe, you're correct to call me out on the messy thing. Like, you, you dead on. I think I just said it poorly. Maybe? We'll see. I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is that that Man City midfield is incredibly good. I do not fear it the way I would fear it with Erling Haaland playing ahead of it. Whereas that Barca midfield trio, I would fear sort of regardless of who was around them. Sure. Because I think they're so good that they can keep that ball, keep it moving, and they will make other players around them better. Not that the Man City one wouldn't, not that the Bayern one wouldn't. I just think there's just that little difference between yeah. the consistency and the quality. So I think I think that's what I was trying to say. But sure. I enjoyed your face when I when it felt like I wasn't going to say that Barca had Lionel Messi and Joe got increasingly frustrated. I just got scared on behalf of your email inbox. That's all it was. <laughs> I uh, no, I, I buy all that, Taylor. I think I totally agree with with what you got there. These are all stacked, and I would very much like us to first use our time machine technology to like battle it out like let's mm-hmm. let's actually test this yeah. theory instead of just guessing if i have a time machine i'm not just gonna pick i'm gonna go back and double check but yeah this would be a lot of fun good stuff hey both of you shut up for a second we're gonna take a quick break back shortly <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. The previous question was from Reed Richards. Thank you, Reed. The next one from Richard Rolson. So wow. much alliteration on today's show already. Good stuff. Uh, Richard says, I've been surprised to hear some commentators on TSS and other podcasts. What? Question if Wayne Rooney is a good head coach or manager. I believe he is shown to be a good coach, but I could be biased, says Richard. Having always appreciated that the TSS crew take the time to do research and back their takes with solid facts. Well, Two of the three do on this show. I'm not sure about I do. I'd like to pose the question. Is Wayne Rooney a good head coach slash manager? Joe, where do we land on this one? Obviously, um, he's been with Derby and DC United. At Derby, uh, he had a mixed bag, I'd say. A good first season, pretty bad, ending to the second one. At DC yeah. United, his win percentage, says Wikipedia, is 25.9%. Uh, for context, Frank Lampard's win percentage at Everton was 27%. Although twelve and a half percent at Chelsea, go on. Frank Lampard to DC United confirmed. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's where we just ended there. There we uh, I don't know who would hate that more of all the parties involved in that situation. So I want to dig even like a little bit deeper into the Rooney background as a manager. Ryan, you said the stage well. He becomes Derby County's manager partway through the 2020-2021 season. So he's at first part of like this interim manager group, which was super weird, and then he ends up getting the job, and and he kept him up at the end of that season, or helped keep them up because managers are, are just a, sort of a small part of the puzzle. But he kept them up that year despite a really rough start, and that's great. Couldn't do the same in 2020, 2020 sorry, in 21 22, which was last season. Couldn't do the same. Uh, there were multiple points deductions along the way, though. And, and Derby County were relegated because they were in administration, which is British for don't have money to pay for things. So that was, that was a, a real challenge and not really something that was in Rooney's control. So I don't personally put much blame on him for that team being relegated that season they had a deck really stacked against them and then you get to dc so he's hired by dc united in july of 2022 that's just less than a year ago that was to replace hernan lasada water and uh and and snacks for everybody at that point he didn't come in time to do much last season like he i don't think he really started coaching until august if i remember correctly and so i mean by then the season is is most of the way over in mls so there wasn't a lot of time for him to implement ideas. And now we're only 12 games into this season. So DC are currently ninth in the East through 12 games this year. I think they're fun to watch. I don't think they're especially good. But again, we're like just a third of the way through the year. I, I don't really think we have enough data on Wayne Rooney to make a decision. Like he hasn't coached. He has not coached more than one full season at a club. He had part of a season at Derby County a full season at Derby County with a major asterisk because of the administration points reduction things, a part season at DC, and now a part season at DC. So we, we have one year of like a full Wayne Rooney team. And, and even that, like I'm not really sure we can learn a lot from. You can do like lots of this kind of debating in your own head about Wayne Rooney's ability and about his even his track record and his tactics. From watching DC, for me, tactically, it doesn't seem like Rooney has an ideal way to play. Right? You know, they've gone through different shapes, which is, is fine. You can play different shapes and have the same style. But it seems like they've even gone through different styles. Last year, it was a, a ton of positional play and super fluid rotations. This year, Benteke has, has kind of stepped up his game. And so he's been the reference point where, you know, he is the object in the final third that they're trying to play into. But they also do like to play out of the back a little bit. It doesn't seem fully married to any particular way of playing. But the charitable way to read that is that he knows, Rooney knows he's dealing with mostly average or slightly below average players. Outside of, I would say, the, the forwards in Christian Benteke and Taxi Funtas, 
who I think are both above average MLS players. So the, the nice way to read that is he's being pragmatic. Like that might be a good thing. And, and he's the one or part of the reason why DC aren't at the bottom of the table because the recruitment hasn't been very good. So you can ask those kinds of things. I, I just don't know. Like I'm, I'm happy to say I don't know. I don't think we have enough data. I would lean towards like maybe not. But I don't, I don't think DC United is set up in a way for any manager to really succeed. Like I think you would have to be an excellent elite manager bound for Europe, like bound for a Champions League level job to, to be good enough to make this team into something remarkable. And the reality is they're not that right now. And so maybe the one thing we know is that Rooney isn't like a, an elite manager in the global mm-hmm. soccer space, but I'm not really willing to hedge much more than that. Yep. I think Joe has covered the bases pretty effectively, so I will just go back over them with a, a few points from me. Uh, yeah, that Derby team that he takes over, a 21-point deduction in that season, all due to mismanagement, nothing due to him. Uh, so they don't have uh, any money for transfers. It's all free transfers. I don't even think there's that many loans. It seems to be a lot of academy players, and it's basically then backs against the wall, motiv- motivating them and getting the best out of them. Joe, you said pragmatic. That is the style I have in all caps for him. I think it's basically what the players allow him to do. And I think that is to his credit that when he has a style he wants to play and aspects of it work, he keeps those aspects. And when aspects of it don't, he will adjust and try to make different things happen. Along the way, I think he does a good job of bringing through young players. I think DC had five academy players this weekend uh, in their one-to-one draw with Nashville with no Christian Benteke in there, and they did look pretty uh, devoid of ideas without Benteke. But I think Rooney has a pragmatic approach, I think born of Derby, now with DC United, and I think that is where I am with him. I don't think he's a bad manager. I don't think he's an elite manager. I would say erring on the side of good, pragmatic manager. I know this is maybe a bit too far, given how much I have uh, praised him recently, but I think Rooney, if he took over a club that is massive or had a huge budget, I don't know if that works that well. But if Wayne Rooney went the Sam Allardyce way and kept going to clubs that were kind of in crisis and struggling and needed somebody to be pragmatic, but also be very player-oriented, that seems to be a big thing from Darby and continues to be a big thing with DC United, is the way he communicates with players, the way he gets everybody to buy in. There's a lot of individual buy-in, which leads to a lot of squad buy-in, and then there is a better collective play as a result. That seems to be a thing he has that kind of spirit about him. I think to the to the original question, final thing, I do feel like I've been more negative about Wayne Rooney as a manager. And I was thinking about why that is the case, because I, I like Wayne Rooney. I liked him as a player. Um, I, I don't really have any reason to think he's a, a bad coach. I think what he did with Darby is genuinely impressive that he almost kept them up despite starting with a negative 21 in the points column. That's no small feat. I think it's basically because of DC United. And at this point, I have so little faith in DC United to get things right that even when they make a smart hire or make a smart signing, I think I'm going to greet it with much more trepidation than I would if it were a different team. And so I think if Wayne Rooney had gone to, I don't know, Joe, who's a smart team? <laughs> uh, in MLS, a smart team, uh, LAFC or NYCFC, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 yeah. If uh, Rooney were at LAFC doing what Steve Torrello was doing, I, I, if he had been brought in, I'd be like, oh, this is going to be interesting. He's a high profile name. He gets the best out of players. Maybe he does have more of a budget this time. We'll see what happens. I just think with DC, fairly or unfairly, I, and I'm not like a, a diehard fan enough to really say, like, I, this is a problem. This is a problem. I just feel like they've made different poor decisions over the seasons that have me 
more skeptical of them than I would be of other teams. And I think that's why it feels like, mm, are you all capable of making a really good hire as a manager? I thought maybe mm. you were with Hernan Lozada and that went horrifically. So who knows here? And I think that's unfair of me to paint Rooney with that brush. But I do think that's where some of that bias is coming from. Taylor, I think there's definitely a runway for Rooney to grow and develop as a coach, for sure. But that, that point you made about him being a good man manager and being good with the players one-on-one and working with them, is that sometimes a shorthand for shortcomings in other areas for a coach? I ask because when Frank Lampard first, in his first stint at Chelsea, that was the big buzz around him that, you know, he gets it. He's a really good man manager. He can talk. He can talk a win into these guys. But it was, you know, uh, uh, there were other areas of his, of his, of his uh, nous as a coach that were missing. Is is Rooney possibly guilty of that? Do you think? Um, guilty, guilty isn't the word I would use there. I would say utilizes it uh, more, maybe more accurately because I think he's a huge personality. Frank Lampard is a is a huge personality, or at least was when he took over Derby, and I think both of them are. At this point, or when they took over, we're bigger names than the club. Darby have had a history of success, don't get me wrong, but you know Frank Lampard more than you know Darby County. Same thing with Wayne Rooney. And so I, I do wonder if because of that, hey, Wayne Rooney is talking to me. Frank Lampard is talking to me. I'm going to listen. Like, you get that sort of buy-in from academy players, younger players, championship players, MLS players. Do you get that from Chelsea's first team who have all been there and done that and played in Champions Leagues and won Champions Leagues and had their own successes? I don't know if that works as well. And I think that is a fair point. I think there is a ceiling to some extent to pragmatic man management alone. I think you do then have to evolve and have a clearer understanding of what you want your tactics to be or your identity for your team. I think that that is probably a fair point. I think... It'll be fascinating to see what happens if that time comes for Wayne Rooney, when that time comes, because I think he'll get a, a gig in Europe at some point. I think his wife is still there. His four kids are still there. His wife. I think eventually he will be moving back at some point, and then we'll just see where he ends up and how that goes. The track record for his generation coaching has not been phenomenal for English players, so maybe he'll be the one to turn that around. Maybe so. Let's have faith. Thank you, Richard, for that question. Let's go to one from Shreyas Romani. Hey, Shreyas. Who are some of the up-and-coming managers that a club in the big big five or big six leagues may try to hire this summer? Now, Taylor, I think it's important that Shreyas has said big six because we can include Holland in that mm-hmm. equation. And a man we spoke about but a few days ago on this here feed, Arne Slot from Feyenoord. Do we include him as an up-and-coming manager that could be poached away this summer? Yeah, absolutely. I, I still maintain that he has to be on Spurs' short list if he's not the top of that list. I think he ticks a lot of boxes for what they're looking for in terms of having a, an identified style that he wants to, to bring in that is very attacking, very high energy, press-oriented, high line, all that good stuff that they want, but brings with him an idea of recruitment and player development and how academies should function. And I think he he is sort of the... He is not the total package necessarily, but I think he is the total package that Spurs want when they're looking at a manager to sort of oversee the next evolution of that club. And I think thus far with Feyenoord, he has proven him capable, proven himself capable of bringing through young players to replace players that are sold on, but getting the best out of the players who are there and veteran players too, and relying on those veteran players. That's another thing Wayne Rooney seems to do is rely on veterans to lead and coach in game more so than himself. Uh, and, and I think Arne Schloss has has found that ba- balance really well. 
culminating in Feyenoord winning the league this season somewhat comfortably as well. Uh, so I think he he is definitely on that list for me. Xabi Alonso of Bayer Leverkusen was on that list. I still wanted to mention him, though. I saw the report today that he has publicly stated, I am not going anywhere. I am staying with Leverkusen this summer. Sometimes that can be a... I'm not going anywhere this summer, unless somebody makes me a really good offer, and maybe I will. Come and get uh, me! Yeah, it does feel like he will stay there, but I've been really impressed by what he has done with Leverkusen. The disciplined way they play, the way, just the positions they take up and the movement off the ball, I think is pretty impressive. Hang on, uh, Taylor. Is, do we count him as the Rooney generation, the Lampard generation, and is he wrecking the curve for, in that respect? Uh, I think I added it very briefly, so you might not have heard me. I said, of the... England generation, oh. <laughs> which is which is basically just yeah, Lampard and Gerrard have have not maybe uh, done phenomenally well. Those are right. two names. I've got a couple more, but I don't want to take them all up because I'm guessing Joe has some overlap here as well. Yeah, so I, I've got the 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 two main ones that I had down on my list were Ruben Amarim and mm-hmm. Vincent Company. So Amarim, 38 years old, coaching Sporting right now over in Portugal, has been linked to big jobs already. Like he's been in the conversations at least initially. And according to reports for some big Premier League jobs, he's been uh, in the third tier of Portugal. He was there in 2018. He went from there to Braga's reserves to Braga's first team by the age of 34. So he moved up the ranks very, very quickly to the top division in Portugal, then moved from Braga to Sporting midseason. Sporting paid a reported 10 million euros for him to get him on board. He's somebody that's valued very highly in Portugal, valued very highly by a lot of clubs around Europe, won the domestic double in his first full season with Sporting. That was in 2020-21. Lost just once that entire season in the league. That was game 33 out of 34. They almost made it the whole year invincible style. Finished second in the league the next year. This year, they're only fourth. I, I don't know if maybe some of the, the shine is, has worn off or if maybe it's time for him to take a new step. But Likes the 3-4-3, likes to press, likes to possess. I don't know how married he is to that shape in a different job, but is somebody that I would expect to move up the ladder and end up in, in not not a big six league. I mean, I think I didn't own, I didn't know we were doing big six, to be honest. I kind of think of France and and maybe the Netherlands as being banded together, but France on, on top, then the Netherlands, and then Portugal maybe close underneath, underneath the, the big four. But I think he's somebody that could move pretty quickly. And then Vincent Company uh, is, is another one that's been in some of these discussions as well. Burnley uh, helps him get promoted in his first season there, is somebody that folks around the soccer landscape know very, very well, is valued highly uh, by teams that kind of want to possess the ball. He didn't do that well at Anderlecht before moving to Burnley, maybe third or fourth in his couple of seasons there, which is not the goal for Anderlecht in, in Belgium, but is is a highly regarded coach from what I can tell, and I enjoyed watching the bits and pieces of Burnley that I saw this season. Yeah, I think I think Vincent Company is one who... It was interesting to, to me, Joe, to hear... Spurs and Chelsea fans sort of very flippantly talking about how like, oh, we're going to get company. It's fine. Like, I'm not sure Vincent Company is jumping ship from Burnley just yet with the way they were playing in the championship, albeit in the championship and a promoted club. But I, I feel like he's going to keep doing what he's doing. Uh, but I think he will be destined for a bigger club or bigger leagues or who knows. Uh, but yeah, Vincent Company was on mine as well. Two more for me, Tiago Mota. That's one that Graham has talked about uh, previously as being potentially in demand. Uh, 40-year-old, born in Brazil, represented Italy, retired in France, played like over 100 games for PSG, uh, and seemed happy there, which is a rarity these days. Uh, but the big thing with Mata, obviously, was the 272 quote of, like, that was the formation he wanted to play. And I think he, he got pretty roundly mocked for that and sort of taken apart. To my understanding, and I was one who I think was sort of like, 272, I don't know about that one, buddy. And I think he mentioned, like, the goalkeeper can be in the midfield. That also seemed like an odd statement. 
But I think it was very much taken out of context, and it was more indicative of his philosophy, which is basically fluidity and movement from position to position. Everybody can play everywhere. You create chaos. You create uncertainty to then find opportunities. Uh, he kept an outgunned Spezia up despite a looming transfer ban, and I think they signed like 26 new players. Uh, he was appointed after all those signings, and yet he was able to keep that club up and kept them playing pretty well. He leaves by mutual consent. He takes over Bologna, who were 17th in the table when he took over, uh, playing a wholly different style. He gets them playing his style, uh, gets them to 11th in the table uh, this season with Arnautovic missing a chunk of the season. So I think the way he has been able to instill confidence in smaller clubs but get them playing better football than they were playing and then it seems like they would their status would indicate they're capable of playing I think is where he will probably get looks from clubs who want to roll the dice a little bit or want to see what he can bring to them so I bet Tiago Malta gets some looks gets some offers and last one I wouldn't say he is up and coming since he is 57 years old but I don't understand how Urs Fischer the head coach of Union Berlin hasn't gotten more attention let me run you through his Union Berlin career very quickly. So he takes over in the uh, ahead of the 2018-2019 season when they are in the uh, two Bundesliga. Uh, they make the promotion playoff where they then beat Stuttgart, which is a rare thing. You don't always get the second division team beating the Bundesliga club. They finish 11th in their first season, 2019-20. They've qualified for the Europa Conference the next season. They then qualified for the Europa League, finishing fifth and missing out on the Champions League by one point last season. They are currently in the final Champions League spot this season, despite dealing with multiple injuries, despite dealing with some dissatisfied players. That it has basically just been a constant upward line for Union. Certainly some of that is is spending and recruitment and scouting, but I think Urs Fischer has to get more credit than he seems to be getting, at least on this show, than he has gotten previously. I don't mm-hmm. think we've really talked about him very much. So I would add him to the list of people who maybe should get a look. I'm not sure he will because he's 57 and been with Union for a good five years now, but you never know. But he's one who deserves some credit, I think. Yeah, we should definitely give him more airtime, Taylor. That's a great show. And I want more airtime to Thiago Motta's 272 as well. <laughs> I, 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 want, I want to see that. Please let me see that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Fluidity, baby. Let's get yeah. more people in the midfield. I like chaos. Uh, Shreyas Romani, thank you very much for your question. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Ballon d'Or. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. And Matt Adler has been in touch to say, if Erling Haaland scores 60 goals and Man City win the treble, will he win the Ballon d'Or? Or does Leo Messi winning the World Cup trump anything that he can do in club 
football. Now, Joe, looking into this question, I am fairly dismayed at the current favourite for the Ballon d'Or. It is Leo Messi uh, with the betting odds. He's around 65% probability to get the Ballon d'Or in its next awarding. Erling Haaland is 42%, so quite a way behind. The third place is Vinny Jr., 4%. So it's a two-horse race, essentially. Now, Erling Haaland is the Premier League player of the season by, I think, the biggest ever margin they've calculated, which, you know, obviously Messi can't... That's not a comparison for Messi. But I think my beef, Joe, is that the World Cup is seven games. Yes, the World Cup is very important, but I don't think it's a reflection of quality where if Erling Haaland scores 60 goals and wins literally a treble and guides his team to it, to me, that is a more significant achievement than winning seven games or winning, you know, the knockout games of a World Cup. I don't like the fact that Haaland is behind Messi in these rankings. Am I wrong? I think you're right. I agree with everything you just said. If it's up to me, if we're talking about the most impressive player over this period of time, I would say that that does belong to Holland. I think sustained success is more impressive across basically 10 months in multiple competitions than, than going out there and playing seven games very, very well. Now, I, I like this question from Matt. Like, I like it almost as much as I hate the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's good content. The Ballon d'Or is good content. This question is good content, but I'm, I'm talking about the Ballon d'Or. But it's, it's meaningless as far as an award goes. Like, the fact that we can have this discussion and the fact that Messi's going to win this award shows that it's, it's not about the best player over a sustained period of time. Although, you can always make an argument that Messi is the best player. But let's, I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, this is about the story. This is not about the player that has been most impressive for, you know, X amount of months and has done this and that in these various competitions. It, it's a narrative award, right? That, that's what it is. Otherwise, we would have seen Messi win it, like, every single year, until a player like Erling Holland came onto the stage of killing Mbappe and had a crazy season like the one Holland is having and could end up with you know three titles with Manchester City in a single year and 60 goals. He's got 51 right now, according to FBRF, across all competitions. So I don't know. I, I really dislike the Ballon d'Or because it feels like it's so subjective and fluid. I, I don't like a lot of player awards because everybody thinks about it differently, which is fine. But if everybody's thinking about it differently and valuing things differently and having their own personal criteria and they're all voting for it, it ceases to be meaningless. It ceases to be meaningful. Darn it. I was almost through my point. It ceases to be meaningful, becomes meaningless and silly. I think the Ballon d'Or is silly. Messi's going to win it. Holland should win it. Okay. Um, We should note, by the way, we're recording a few hours before Man City's Champions League clash with Real Madrid in the semifinal second leg. So this question might be moot by Mm. that point, but I think it still is an important point to make Taylor Taylor you've been stroking your beard as if you're about to say something very insightful go no just listening to Joe talk about uh the, the Ballon d'Or and and how meaningful it is um I don't really disagree so I'm not really going to go down that path Joe's already covered it well I'll just say this I think if it were the past format then I think there's no chance Erling Holland wins it because uh, up until last year, it was calendar year. And I think that the 2022 calendar year would have ended with Lionel Messi as a world champion. It's hard to deny him the Ballon d'Or at that point. But because we've now moved to it being for the season, which is what it was last year when Benzema wins it, that would be the only wrinkle because Messi wins the Ballon d'Or, but this season has not been good for PSG or for him personally. And it's hard to say that he has been the most dominant club player on the planet this season. I don't think he's even been the most dominant club player on his team this season. But he has won the World Cup. 
Ronaldo wins the Ballon d'Or the year that Portugal win the Euros when he's not on the pitch when they end up winning it. But he also, even with Real Madrid finishing, I think, second that season, he's the top scorer in the league and in all competitions and is still Ronaldo. So I, I think it's not just that Portugal won the Euros that he won it. I think it is club form there factored in. This time around, I think... I honestly think it probably should be Holland. (laughs) That feels awkward Mm. to say, but I think there's just been, he's just been so comprehensively dominant this year. It's, it's hard to say that he isn't the best player in the world right now. And that's what I think that award should be. With that said, I think Lionel Messi is absolutely going to win it. It's the same thing as Martin Scorsese winning for The Departed. Messi has won the Ballon d'Or before, but it's an, it's an element of a Lifetime Achievement Award. This is probably the last chance we're going to have to give you this. So why don't we just give it to Messi one more time? And Holland will have plenty of other opportunities. And then, I guess, to continue that analogy, maybe he has a bunch of down seasons, and then he gets awarded the Ballon d'Or for making Sen of the Woman, Sen of a Woman, which is what uh, Al Pacino mm. had. I'm going off into film uh, narrative now. But yeah, Sen of the Woman is a bad title. Sen of a Woman, I guess, is better. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I think, I think my guess would be that Holland should win it, especially if they win the treble, but my guess is that Messi wins it at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I, I have trouble getting around the integrity of it as well, Taylor, in that Erling Haaland wasn't in the World Cup. So he's mm-hmm. at extreme disadvantage to Leo Messi yeah. because he literally hasn't played the tournament which is going to earn it for him. So yes. And, and in, in reality, throughout his career, he's not going to get the opportunity being Norwegian. I mean, I if, he'd, hey, if he'd played Taylor... 2026, if, they got a well, chance. I suppose they do, as, as many nations do. But if he'd only he had chosen the nation of his birth and upbringing to represent a national level, maybe he would have had a better chance of winning the World Cup. But hey, there we go. I, um, feel but- like, I feel like the media wouldn't have wanted him to start over Harry Kane. I feel like Harry Kane still yeah. would have started even with Erling Haaland probably. being Erling Haaland. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. I won't hear any slander against The Departed, by the way. I do enjoy that movie very much. I do, too. It's a great movie. It's just yeah. not Martin Scorsese's best movie. There are way, way... Many better ones. Very good. Very That's well good. said. Yes. <laughs> As most things are on this here pod. Matt, thank you very much for your question. Michelle S. has been in touch. Why does the Galacticos approach work for Real Madrid and not for Paris Saint-Germain? Is it tactics? Is it man management? Or something else entirely? Joe, uh, it is an interesting question. Is it obviously, obviously the Galacticos era for Real Madrid, if we're going to use it in the purest sense was the Zidane Beckham Roberto Carlos kind of era where things very much did gel when they literally threw money at the problem PSG doing the same thing effectively not quite had the same camaraderie and success so why is that Joe yeah so the way I thought about this question and I love this question they're so good today I I really enjoyed a lot of these thank you folks for sending them in because we we love doing these shows and these are really really good I like this question from Michelle because it's something that I've been thinking about this season, especially as we've been watching the Champions League and seeing PSG crash out again and seeing Real Madrid have real success regardless of what happens against Man City today. Maybe folks already know about that. But either way, I think this has been a a strong season in in certain ways for Real Madrid. It's it's sort of cliche, but looking at this current edition, or maybe the last few years for both teams, it's it's a bit cliche, but I think there's two things that really separate Real Madrid from PSG and have given them more success. The first is is really the cliche one. It's the culture. I think Real Madrid have, have built a history over time of going out and signing big players and also having success. So I think then, as a result, and I don't know how much this matters, but I think as a result, players are probably a bit more equipped to handle some of the weird dynamics that come from certain players being more important than the rest, from certain players being elevated than the rest. Everybody kind of knows what to expect. Whereas with PSG, they, they haven't, fully yet 
built that culture and, and haven't had that sustained success for winning. So Real Madrid, their, their willingness to spend historically, their, their ability to go out and sign the biggest players, which does in a lot of cases help you win games, I think has sort of become the self-fulfilling prophecy that we talked about on the big thing last week. So that's part of it. The real answer, though, I think, and the one that I think is really relevant to this season, is how they built their squads. Like PSG's squad balance, that we've also talked about this on a, on a past big thing episode, is so bad. Like it's really hard to accommodate one or two elite attacking stars. It's really hard to do that. It's basically impossible, and we've seen, it's basically impossible to do it with three players. Three attacking stars who all want the ball, and Messi, and Neymar, and Mbappe. When you have those three players, you lose any ability you had to press. You lose your ability to control where the, the game is being played. You're too static in the attack because all of those players are trying to find the ball. You're super reliant on egos not exploding or not egoing too hard. Like I, I, I did like some of PSG's business in the offseason. I think they made some good moves in, in, in recent years. They've done some good stuff, and they have a ton of talent, obviously, but they don't have the structure to really wear teams down. They don't have the structure to put in a repeatable performance week after week. Real Madrid don't do that at an elite level either. Like, if you want a consistent team, Real Madrid's probably not the one you're going to, but their squad balance is so much better. Like, Vinicius and Benzema are the stars. They have two very clear attacking firepower players, but they do more dirty work than any of the the PSG front three. And they have Rodrigo in the front line who helps and and does a lot of the grunt work, tracking back, defending on that side, crashing the box, providing the off-ball movement. Then you go back another line, you've got Fede Valverde, who's a workhorse in midfield, complementing those attacking stars and Kroos and Modric. You've got young midfielders who can cover ground and provide a stable platform and and, and give Modric and Kroos some rest. It's not a perfect team, Real Madrid, but I think they've been so much smarter in how they've supported their stars, and they will always go after stars. I think they've been a lot smarter in how they've supported those players, even if we're not in the the heart of the Galacticos era, than PSG who are, are sort of trying to find their way into that era. Um, not for the first time in this episode, Joe has completely nailed the answer to the question and uh, left Taylor with uh, <laughs> uh, a difficult job to follow up. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, Joe, Joe said it well. I think at Real Madrid, the club is bigger than the individual players, generally speaking. I think at PSG, at least of late, the players are bigger than the club, or at least some of them are. And I think that some of them is the other thing. Joe hit on it here, but I would delve like or drill down even more. The idea that if you play for Real Madrid and Ronaldo is there in the Ronaldo era when he is winning Ballon d'Ors and is the best player on that team, maybe the best player in the world, he is undeniably the biggest player, but you still play for Real Madrid. And so even if you are Marcelo or whomever, you're still part of the biggest team on the planet or one of the biggest teams on the planet. And then you have this superstar on the team as well. So I think... It allows you to sort of be a Real Madrid player, even if you have that name recognition. At PSG, I don't mean to be discourteous, but I'm good to be discourteous. It's a club that were, what, founded in 1971, make the top flight in 73. They win some titles in the 80s and early 90s, but don't really have that much success until they're bought in 2012. With And then all that money comes in and that identity is established, but... They don't have that pedigree. They don't have that history that Joe has already talked about. And so it's hard to bring in those players and say, congratulations, you now play for the biggest team on the planet. We've never won the Champions League and we've won some league titles. Like you just can't make that argument. It's It would be not wholly dissimilar from if MLS got rid of the salary budget and 
LAFC just decided to bring in the three biggest players on the planet and we're like, now we're the biggest team in the world. No, you're not. You have three very good players and you have more cachet, but that doesn't mean that you are bigger than the sum of your parts or anything like that. So I think you can have Real Madrid who will have players. David Beckham is let go from Manchester United because he's perceived as being bigger than the club. So Alex Ferguson thinks he's just no longer playing for the team. And he goes to Real Madrid, where you have so many talented players around you, you can't really have that mentality. And I think only very, very, very special players ever seem to be bigger than Real Madrid. And even then, they're still baked into the identity of that club at that point. So I I think it it is just the history, it's the culture, it's the identity, it's the recruitment, it's everything that goes into it. And the supporters as well, probably a part of that too. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Michelle, for that question. A very interesting one. It was indeed Last question of the show, guys. It's the one we've been waiting for. This one comes from <clears throat> Starbucks. Starbucks. It seems, made up. This, yeah. it seems made up. I don't know. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brian Rayleigh asked us, uh, why is Ryan the most handsome man on the planet? Hmm. Well, it's, it's along those lines. Uh, it <laughs> is my understanding that Ryan is the one who selects the questions for the show. Uh, yes, Starbucks, that is correct. It is the one area of responsibility I have in my life. Um... Who are the soccer equivalents of Hard Rock Cafe, Applebee's, and Chili's? Now, Taylor, there's many ways we could approach this answer. (laughs) I shall hand you the floor to see where you went with this. I will answer it. Ryan, I'm going to put you in a down mood for a moment, because while we've been recording, did you say that you weren't concerned about losing Balogun because you have Ivan Tony? Ivan Tony, Tammy, Cabot-Lewin. Uh... As we were recording, Ivan Tony has been suspended from all football and football-related activity with immediate effect for eight months, fined 50,000 pounds, and warned as to his future conduct for breaches of the FA's betting rules. So you don't have Ivan Tony for the next eight months. Ooh. I guess you still have him for 2026. But Someone's not getting a transfer this summer. <laughs> no, he is not. Uh, so, to, the, to answer the question now, Ryan, is that what I should do, probably? Uh, I'd, I'd advise it. All right. Uh, Hard Rock Cafe, uh, broad global appeal, not particularly good, relies on star power to keep people coming back. That would be Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have Applebee's, is meant to feel like a small local club, but is actually a global brand, or at least uh, a North American brand. Uh, their late night happy hour is is allows you to make last-minute panic purchases that you might not need. Menu that tries to cover too much ground, uh, so you have maybe too many different items from too many different backgrounds. Overseen by an American, it's Chelsea. Applebee's is Chelsea. (laughs) Uh, And I will leave Chili's to you all, but I will ask this. Did you all look up, uh, by chance, the founding of Applebee's? Because I did a little bit of reading on Applebee's. Believe it or not, I didn't. um, Yeah, no, I didn't. My my first experience with Applebee's was not going there. It was the... um, one of the main characters in Friday Night Lights was a waitress there. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. So that <laughs> that's good trivia to have. Yeah. I will give you all, now that you say, say you haven't done this, I will give you all $100 if you can tell me the original name of the original Applebee's location without looking it up. So they wanted it to be called Applebee, I believe, and that was already registered. So they looked at one that was like Peppers, and there was something else, but the original Applebee's location. Any oh. guesses on that name? Applebee's oh, is in man. it. Applebee's is in it. Applebee's uh, home home cooking. TJ Applebee's uh, RX for edibles and elixirs. Oh, there you go. I was, clo- I was closer than Ryan. <laughs> I was closer than Ryan. I guess yeah. not surprising that they've dropped that one. I don't feel like RX for edibles and elixirs is going to really pull in middle America the way just Applebee's neighborhood bar uh, seems to have done. What does that mean? Is RX is like... <laughs> 
medication. Or yeah, prescriptions for right. edibles and elixirs. So they've got the prescription for all your edible and elixir needs. I guess that's prescription for food and drink, basically. Was this the 1920s when people were like being given cocaine in there? I want to say it was the 80s. Drops? Right. Okay. <laughs> Found it in Atlanta. I know that one. Uh, I'll look Wonderful. it up while you all do your Chili's answers and your Thank other Thank you answers. very much. Uh, Joe, where did you land with this uh, wonderful, wonderful question? Okay, so I'll be honest. I genuinely struggle to understand what the difference is between these three places. Taylor, I have a lot of respect for your willingness Correct. to dive into this world. Shutting think, my laptop now. Yeah, Joe, there's I, a reason why I didn't have an answer for Chili's. It's because I was like, it's the same thing for Applebee's. I don't you have tried anything a, for you. <laughs> you tried a little bit harder than I did, um, which I really respect because I, I think we both have pretty equal levels of disdain for these kinds of places. Uh, Taylor and I in New York together, I think, generally wanted to, to frequent the same kind of local, slightly more divey spots, which which I really respect about you, Taylor. Um, so I think all of these places are the New York Red Bulls. And this was my late night epiphany last night in the middle of the night. Not terribly exciting. Ooh. Not super effective. <laughs> this you is know what you're going to get. <laughs> this is as devastating of a burn as Joe can give, and he's giving it right now. I love you it. Know what, you know burn. what you're going to get. You might, <laughs> you might actually like part of it. Like, there might be a part where you're like, wow, like, this is actually not, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And they have similar locations all over the world. So uh, this just feels like the New York Red Bulls for me. Um, I'm through. You are through, Joe. <laughs> We're through. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm glad that kept you up all night thinking of that devastating it answer. It really did. Well, I, actually, I believe he said he woke up with an answer. Yeah, that's yeah. true. If anything, he dreamed this answer and woke up and was so excited that he had to write it down for posterity. I, I picture Joe literally upright, prostrate, Red Bulls, he shouts exactly. at like 3 a.m. <laughs> I'd like that to have been the case. Exactly. <laughs> Very good. Uh, for what it's worth, my answers. Um, I've gone for. I've got some similar clubs for you, for you, Taylor. Hard Rock Cafe. I've gone with Chelsea. They're from mm. London. Uh, Hard Rock Cafe was started in 1971 in London. Uh, used to be a lot cooler than it is now. Uh, was much better a few years ago. Very popular <laughs> with visiting tourists and loads of expensive things hanging around that don't do anything. Like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crazy stuff on the walls there you go they both got that on long I, contracts I was, I was genuinely trying to remember the last time I've been in a hard rock cafe I liked all your answers but for a moment I was frozen by like there was a time when I was stoked to wear a hard rock cafe t-shirt for sure mm. was that time now? no that time was when okay. I was like 14 okay fair enough um, Chili's I've gone for Tottenham something that's great value that punches above its weight but also leaves you feeling a bit unwell after experiencing it <laughs> Even Ryan knows. Even Ryan knows deep down what 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 these places are. Ryan, you know. I know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm willing to put up with the consequences, Joe. Essentially, because I have my love for the brand and for Americana and for um, very unhealthy food. Finally, Applebee's is MK Don's because we don't go there. We don't talk about it because we're a Chili's family. This might be the greatest the question of all the time. The rage. This is so The rage good. from Ryan Bailey is terrific. <laughs> oh. I think I'll probably uh, pick the microphone there, but that was the way I feel about that situation. Um, Chili's and Applebee's are not the same, Taylor. Hey, Ryan, guess what? What? We're going to be in Applebee's house just because you said that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This thing's getting out of control. We should wrap this episode up. Uh, listener, thank you very much for joining us. Do let us know your thoughts on which... Uh, soccer team is the hard rock cafe we definitely would like to have that discourse with you whether it be on the patreon or otherwise uh but for now taylor rockwell thank you very much for 
five, six of your answers today. Thank you all for eating good in the neighborhood. <laughs> With the elixirs from the 1920s. Wonderful stuff. Exactly. Uh, 1980, Lowry. by the way. 1980, the year of Applebee's founding. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wonderful year it was. Joe Lowry, thank you very much, sir, for your contributions today. Right back at you, Ryan. And don't let us bully you out of enjoying your chilies. You you just go and, and, and do that thing really well. You do it. Next next time we're together, we're going to go hang yeah, out. Chicken, somewhere honey, else. chipotle, chicken, crispers. I, I look forward to enduring that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Listener, thank you for enduring this one with us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. 